1: Dr. Ross Green here, coming to you live from the offices of Lives in the Balance here in Portland, Maine. Welcome back to the program. Parenting Your Challenging Child is on the air live every Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, September through May. I am joined by my co-host, Susie Porton. Susie, how are you today?
2: I'm well, thanks. How are you, Dr. Green?
1: I am fine. Susie is joining in, not from upstate New York, but we're glad you were able to join in on the program today. Um, Thank you. Anything that you wanted to start with today before we jump into... Oh, wait a minute. I'm going to see if I can do this myself. The call-in number is 347-994-2981. Now your job.
2: Please press 1
1: please press one. Um, We have a bunch of email to still respond to. We've got uh, lots of email in there. But is there anything you wanted to start with today before we get going with that?
2: Um, I did not have a chance to listen to last week's program. But you asked me how my summer went and I said fine. But what I... Was thinking about all week was I should have um, said I remember those times so well when summer was a very difficult time with um, with not having school in place and I was always afraid of the police knocking at my door. Um, you know there was less structure in our routine. And so I just wanted to say to our listeners that I while I had this summer was just fine, I have had a uh, more challenging summer than I understand what that's about.
1: There you go. Shall we jump in?
2: Yes, let's.
1: Here we go. This is an interesting email that we got. It says, I was hoping that this podcast radio program was going to provide specific advice on how to handle aggressive, explosive behavior towards siblings and parents, even after Plan B has been tried. I am still confused as to what to do. The answer seems to be, that's a hard one. Can you provide specific advice on what to do? Also, I feel that Plan B might be overly simplistic. What if the child has another underlying psychological problem? What if they have conduct disorder or antisocial personality disorder or oppositional defiant disorder? Will Plan B work on those? What if the child is a psychopath or a sociopath? I am asking these questions honestly. Please advise. Well, um, let's think. What we do on this program is we mostly answer lots of questions from people who are either emailing or calling in, some of whom have lots of familiarity with the collaborative and proactive solutions model already, and some of whom have very little. Um, So on many programs, we are covering some of the basics of using the CPS model. And on others, we're just responding to very specific questions for people who are either struggling with the model or wondering how it might be applied in their specific circumstances. Um, They're all hard ones. Um, In terms of still being confused about what to do, the big question is what have you done already? If you've already made a list using the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems of the expectations your child is having difficulty meeting, and if you've prioritized that list using the problem-solving plan, then you're good to go in the let's get this organized department. If you are um, doing Plan B, and are doing it exactly as we describe it either in the walking tour on the Lives in the Balance website or in the various books that are about the model, then you should be good to go. And now we're trying to figure out, well, how come the plan B you tried didn't get the job done? Uh, And there's gazillion reasons that plan B might not quite get the job done. What I'm missing in this email message is a specific unsolved problem that you're working on. You want to remember, uh, behavior is not the unsolved problem. Um, The problems that are causing the behavior are the unsolved problem. The expectations the kid is having difficulty meeting that he or she is responding to with challenging behavior That's the unsolved problem. And so um, I don't think of Plan B as being overly simplistic at all. I find that most folks find it to be hard, at least in the beginning, um, especially since it's a complete – well, it's completely different than what they've been doing all along. Um, And I don't think that the disorders that you named – are what I would call underlying psychological problems. If we look at the diagnostic criteria for conduct disorder or antisocial personality disorder or oppositional defiant disorder, we find that, um, well, they are comprised of behaviors, many of which are the behaviors human beings, because some of these apply more to adults than kids, exhibit when they are having difficulty meeting expectations when they are having difficulty solving the problems that affect their lives. And so one of the key aspects of the CPS model is that we don't take our psychiatric diagnoses as seriously as many folks do. There are many factors that could set the stage for conduct disorder, many that could set the stage for oppositional defiant disorder, antisocial personality disorder. Those factors are problems that need to be solved. And if those problems don't get solved, then those people are going to exhibit behaviors that meet criteria for certain disorders. But generally speaking, the disorders simply tell us these are the ways that this person is responding to the problems in their lives that have yet to be solved. Um, Good luck on the journey. Plan B is... Hard, But if we get caught up in the diagnoses, then what happens is we feel that there's nothing we can do because what do you do about oppositional defiant disorder? What do we do about somebody being called a psychopath or a sociopath? Um, Even people who are called psychopathic, and there is a place in the literature about that. They are referred to as having callous and unemotional traits. They're still lacking skills, and there are still problems they're having difficulty solving. In some respects, that's probably a little simple. In other respects, that's exactly what the doctor ordered. Susie, let's get your way on in that. On that, if you feel like it.
2: Sure, um, you know it's just so important to get the right lenses on so that you are seeing this child through lagging skills and unsolved problems. Um, Those uh, diagnoses pathologize the child and something, you know, the, the challenging behavior shows that the child is lacking skills. So, um... So when you see it as lagging skills and unsolved problems, you can set things up so that you can help the child solve those problems and indirectly teach, teach him the lagging skills through plan B and solving problems collaboratively and proactively. Um, you know, we did, we did plan B with our explosive child. We did plan B with our other children. Um, and each child gets what they needed. Um, Oh, just going back to the uh, pathologizing the child, what what helped me was to uh, set it up in terms of problems in living and that it takes two people. And um, my role was to help figure out what was getting in the way and solve the problem that, was interfering. Um, the, the beauty of, of collaborative and proactive solutions is that it, quote, works no matter what the challenges the child exhibits. Um, and I think you said it, it takes time, but it takes far less time than closions and um, punishments.
1: Now, Susie, your um, explosive child, if we were to call him that, had some diagnoses, um, and um, he had been carrying those diagnoses for quite a while. Um, Mm -hmm. What did you more good in terms of understanding him and helping him, the psychiatric disorder that described the behaviors he was exhibiting when he was looking bad or the lagging skills and unsolved problems that were causing those behaviors and though that you could actually do some work on what did you and your husband find to be most helpful
2: well the uh Mental health diagnoses did nothing to help us. Um, the psychologist that we were uh, seeing at the time was blaming me for my son's behavior, um, and we were clearly missing the boat. Um, our our house was a nightmare. Um, so when I did find Collaborative and proactive solutions, and someone whose approach made sense to me. Excuse me. And it was a good fit. um, Getting the right lenses on and seeing that our son was lagging skills and that was causing those behaviors um, was much more helpful for us to actually do something about, and indirectly teach him the skills that were lagging through solving problems collaboratively and proactively.
1: You know, it's really scary to have a kid who is out of control and responding to frustration in ways that can be violent and verbally aggressive toward parents and other family members, Um, it's so crucial for um, the mental health profession to provide parents and other caregivers, including in schools, with information that really helps them understand and that they can really do something about. I find that so often... There is a disconnect between mental health professionals and caregivers because mental health professionals are often talking one language and caregivers are just looking for, please tell me about my kid. Please tell it to me in language that I can understand. Please. That's
2: exactly right. Yep.
1: Sorry. Maybe you can speak to that a little bit.
2: Um, well... Yes, uh, a lot of mental health professionals today, no disrespect to the profession, uh, speak in a language that uh, myself as a caregiver and as a parent uh, had difficulty understanding. Um, But the great thing about, Plan B and collaborative and proactive solutions is is that it is clear cut. It gives you a framework to work with uh, to help your child and to think things through proactively and not reactively. Um, uh, it was. It was just plan B um made sense to me, and it and it's you know the beauty of your book also is that they're in language that makes sense, and people can understand.
1: Let's move on to another one, shall we do sure. I This one says, I'm intrigued by CPS and the possibilities. The traditional support plans, rewards, and consequences have not consistently modified my seven-year-old granddaughter's behavior. She has developmental and speech delays. What puzzles me is that for the first three weeks of school, everything went great. No outbursts, no aggressive behavior, engaged with material, and on task. Then a switch flipped, and the old behaviors resurfaced. She wants to get out of a task, hits a child, school removes her from class, and then suspends her. She stays home for a day, goes back, lather, rinse, repeat. How do you account for three weeks of compliant behavior and then resurrection of the cycle? Well, it's a great question. And um, I think that there are kids who are lacking skills and have expectations they're having difficulty meeting, who are um, able to hold it together for certain periods of time. They often keep themselves very tightly wrapped, and then they just can't do it anymore. Um, These are the kids who are often exhibiting challenging behavior at school. There are many, many kids who exhibit challenging behavior at home and not at school, obviously those are the ones who are able to keep themselves very tightly wrapped most of the time at school but simply can't keep it together for 24 hours a day so they're often decompensating at home. Or there are expectations being placed upon them at home that um, they are having difficulty meeting whereas there are expectations at school that they are not having difficulty meeting. It all comes down to, um, is this kid able to meet the expectations that are being placed upon him or her, in this case, her? It sounds to me, and I have no idea, of course, having never met your granddaughter, like we had a honeymoon period. Three weeks of school, everything went great, Um, But then, either because of familiarity or because the honeymoon wore off or because the demands at school began increasing. Sometimes at school, the first few weeks are kind of a honeymoon for everybody. They're not sort of really sinking their teeth into the material early on. But I guess the main part of this picture is that there are now expectations being placed upon your granddaughter at school, that she is apparently having difficulty meeting. If she could meet them, she would meet them because kids do well if they can and because doing well is preferable. So while she may well want to get out of a task, there's probably something about that task that she's having difficulty mastering. And that's when challenging behavior occurs in all human beings when the demands being placed upon them outstrip their skills human beings look bad. So we do want to get out of the lather, rinse, repeat cycle, but we really want to view it through the prism of what expectations are being placed on your granddaughter at school that apparently she was able to hold it together for for the first three weeks, or the demands are changing, but now there are demands being placed upon her that she's having difficulty either holding herself together for or mastering. And they are causing her challenging behavior. And one thing's for certain one part of that cycle we want to get out of as quickly as possible one, a one day suspension is not going to solve the problems that are causing your granddaughter's challenging behavior at school. And neither are rewards and punishments. And neither is focusing on your granddaughter's behavior. We have to use the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems to figure out what expectations she's having difficulty meeting, make sure people have the right lenses on so we're also figuring out what skills she's lacking, and then we need to engage her in a collaborative and proactive process of solving those problems so that she's not exhibiting challenging behavior in response to them anymore. Susie, I'm betting that schools applied rewards and punishments to your challenging child. How well did that work?
2: Not well at all, Dr. Green. Um, you know, because it's not solving problems and indirectly teaching the skills that the child's so badly lagging behind in. Um, as we touched on last week, it's it's a new school year, and it would be a great time to meet proactively and collab- and in collaboration with the school to um, take a copy of the ALSEP, the Assessment of Lagging Skills and Unsolved Problems, to the school and meet with the teacher, the guidance well, guidance counselor school psychologist and really um inform the teacher who this kid is and what she's all about. Um, when you see these uh lagging skills and unsolved problems as a learning disability, a developmental delay similar to a math or a reading problem, um it's It's uh, very helpful. Um, Also, you know, just to recommend a couple of books that you've written, uh, Lost at School and Lost and Found, um, and also the article, Five Ways to Improve School for Behaviorally Challenging Students. They can download that for free on the website to. take that into school and work with the school.
1: Lots of resources to help people do this model well, including, Susie, we're going to have to keep track of this because um, coming up shortly, and I'll tell you exactly the number, coming up shortly will be our 200th edition of Parenting Your Challenging Child. Today's program is number 194. We ought to have a special celebration when we get to program number 200. We've been doing this for a very long time. I guess we do 35 to 40 programs a year, and we've been doing it for four or five years, There are, after today, 194 um, 45-minute audio programs in the Listening Library of the Lives in the Balance website. All of these programs end up in the Listening Library and in iTunes, and people can access them whenever they want, but we're going to have to keep track of when we get to program number 200 so we can try to think of something special to do.
2: Thanks, Shall we great. turn
1: our attention to another email here? We have no callers. Yeah, Let me give the perfect. number again. Go ahead, perfect. sorry.
2: Perfect. I was just going to say, no, let's give the number
1: again. 347-994-2981, nine, nine, and press the number 1. takes people a little while to get back into the swing every year. Here's That's one. I've read your book and have been applying CPS in my home, especially with my son, who is on the spectrum, is 17 year old, 17 years old, and has major obsessive compulsive disorder and is rebellious. Today, I had a situation. He cursed and said very nasty things about his sister. I repeatedly spoke to him about the situation and tried to find out why. It has worked before and the situation has been smooth. Today I lost it and took his computer away for swearing and not speaking nicely. I know I shouldn't, but I did. I feel like such a failure. Any thoughts? Susie, let's have you take a stab at that one first. Um, You all learned about Plan B, but weren't always doing it when you would have liked to. Um, Did you feel like a failure? And any guidance for this mom who's clearly feeling kind of badly about having not stuck with the Plan B script? What do you think?
2: I think that for a very long time, it was hard for me to put my concern on the table because I was so afraid of my son's violent outburst and screaming and swearing and throwing things. Um, So I went into plan C for a long time until I recognized that I was no longer comfortable with doing Plan C and it wasn't helping our son. Um, taking, taking away something, um, I know the mom feels remorseful now, and I've had those situations as well. Um, But not to be discouraged because you actually sometimes learn more from the situations that didn't go so well. Um, And you can learn from that experience. Um, but taking away something is not gonna teach the skills the lagging skills or solve the problem um You need to really like she had been doing um figuring out what was getting in his way to begin with and not focus on the behavior but to um focus on the unsolved problem and I know it's also very difficult when there's a sibling involved, and um, to be cursing at his sister is not acceptable, but he probably already knows that already um, and that's why the solving the finding out what took place before the swearing occurred is so
1: important. Did you ever feel like a failure in trying to implement the model?
2: Oh, absolutely. It took a long, long time to get the ball, plan B ball rolling. Um, as I said, I expected myself to say things perfectly
1: and
2: um, – And I expected myself to come up with a, you know, perfect solution. And it took a long time for me to realize that it was a partnership um, and giving our son a chance to, after I put my concern on the table, giving my son a chance to help come up with a solution that would, Solve the problem um, I just had a thought, and it escapes me at the moment, so if you want to chime in, that would be great, and maybe it'll come back to me
1: well we can we can i think we've um, I think we have helped this mom, and I think we're ready to move on to another one. All right, and here is another one. It seems like the only thing my son enjoys is being on our iPad. I sometimes use the iPad as a reward or so that I can get some things, for example, making meals done. Problem is when I take it away, we have a meltdown almost every time. His whining and tantrums drive me around the bend. I feel like I can't think. I get so agitated. Then I feel so guilty for being so upset. Well, um, that's the whole uh, email, and um, it's an interesting one. Um, Mom, it sounds to me like maybe it would be a good idea for you to take the walking tour in the parents section on the Lives in the Balance website, because um, it feels to me like a lot of things are happening in the heat of the moment, And we really want problem solving to be as proactive as possible. But to make problem solving as proactive as possible, first we have to make a list of the expectations your son is having difficulty meeting so that the problem solving we're going to be doing can be proactive. And it does sound like difficulty getting off the iPad when mom wants you to is an unsolved problem, but it sounds like it's being dealt with in the heat of the moment because of the when mom wants you to part. I'm reading between the lines here, and I always get in trouble when I do that, but I'm going to do it anyways. You know what happens when you assume.
2: <laughs> um,
1: it sounds like it's kind of random when mom's going to ask son to get off the iPad um, It also sounds like the iPad is being used as a reward or as a bit of a um, distraction so that mom can get some things done. But I don't know that many kids who are able to get off the electronics the minute or the instant their parent demands it. And so I often find that it's helpful to throw a little structure into the mix because, believe it or not, even though he's going to have to get off the iPad at some point, when he's going to have to get off the iPad, at least in this situation, just based on the little that we're hearing, sounds unpredictable, which means that requests for getting off the iPad might be surprising. And a lot of behaviorally challenging kids don't deal well with surprises. They don't make transitions easily. And getting off the iPad to do whatever it is that mom is asking him to do um, is a transition. And it sounds like it's happening suddenly. So making this whole thing proactive would probably help a lot. The whole process of making it proactive begins with the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems. He's not going to be winding and tantruming on problems that are solved. He's only going to be whining and tantruming on problems that are still unsolved. Once they're solved, the whining and tantruming is not going to drive you around the bend. Thinking in the heat of the moment is tough. Thinking outside the heat of the moment, not as tough. So um, I think that the theme of this program today has sort of been around parental guilt for um, not parenting in the way that they would like to be, but none of us is at our best. In the heat of the moment, so one of the best ways to stay away from parental guilt is to organize the effort and make the whole thing as proactive as possible. Susie, does parental guilt ring a note with you <laughs>
2: um, absolutely i'm I'm a pro at that um I just wanted to say that by solving problems proactively and collaboratively it takes the reactivity out of the mix and for the mom to try not to feel guilty um, the good thing is is that you know about collaborative and proactive solutions you're going to try to do things a different way and get busy on solving problems Um, that's that's what helps your child, that's what builds a uh, helping relationship.
1: Shall we do another? Sure. Does the CPS model work for students have been, who have been diagnosed with emotional behavioral disorders? That's the whole, that's the whole question. Um, the other theme of today's program is of course labels. Um, Parental guilt and labels. Very interesting. Um, Labels, well, mental health labels are um, descriptive, usually of the behaviors a kid is exhibiting when there are expectations the kid is having difficulty meeting. But the label this mom, I think, is a mom, is bringing up is a label that is used by many school systems simply for the purpose of designating a set of services that can be applied to their student. So students who are diagnosed with emotional behavioral disorders qualify for a certain set of services. So mostly I find that the label isn't necessarily descriptive of much of anything. It's really, you know, at least attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, at least it at least the label sort of gives you a sense about what you got here. Oppositional defiant disorder sort of gives you a sense of what you got. Emotional behavioral disorders, I don't know what we're dealing with. It's such a kitchen sink label that it's hard to tell what you got in that category, mostly because it is a category that simply opens up a variety of services or a particular placement and sometimes funding for a particular kid. I'm willing to bet the house that every kid in North America who has been called emotional and behavioral disorders has a lot of lagging skills and a lot of unsolved problems. And CPS works at solving problems, and at teaching skills that the kid is lacking. I can't imagine that that label, which has been applied to many of the kids that I've worked with, uh, I can't imagine that that label would keep me from doing CPS with a kid. Of course, it depends on each individual kid, uh, but that's a kitchen sink label that simply refers to the fact that this kid is definitely lacking skills and has problems that need to be solved. CPS is fantastic at working on that. Susie, any thoughts on the labels that I don't know? Where your did your kids get any labels thrown at them so they could get services at school?
2: Um, they they did have some labels. Um, to get a few uh, a few things at school, help with a few things at school. Um but I just wanted to reiterate what you said and that, um, you know, our son had a lot of emotional and behavioral uh, disorders, um, but that collaborative and proactive solutions does, quote, work for um, all children.
1: Let's see if we have time for one more. Uh Uh-oh, I just logged out of the email that has all of the emails in it. So hold on. Let's get that to come back up. All right, here we here's a question from a friend of mine who's in education she wants help on wording an unsolved problem she asks how would you word this unsolved problem a fourth grader saw a classmate's sweatshirt in the lost and found and put it on When the classmate saw her in it, she said she wanted it back. The fourth grader said she would give it back when she was finished with her assignment. The classmate waited and waited while the fourth grader kept working. The classmate finally lost it and went to the teacher to get her sweatshirt back. How would I word that one? Well, I'm going to tell you how I'd word it, and then I'm going to tell you why it's not so ideal. Difficulty giving your classmate's sweatshirt back. That's probably how I'd word it. But the reason I'm not so crazy about it is because it is what we might call a one-timer or what a Canadian colleague of mine calls a one-off unsolved problem. Um, And as a one-timer, one-timers are hard to word because they're just one-timers. They've only happened once. It's a lot easier to word expectations that a kid is routinely having difficulty meeting, difficulty brushing teeth at night, difficulty waking up to go to school in the morning, Uh, difficulty putting away the iPad to to come to dinner, difficulty putting away the iPad to go to bed at night, Um, These are more chronic unsolved problems, and chronic unsolved problems are easy to word because they're chronic, and to tell you the truth, they are what you want to be talking with the kid about anyways. One-timers, well, if it's only a one-timer and it's only happened once, I guess you could do plan B on it to find out what was going on, but it's really not an unmet expectation chronically, so whether it's worth talking about or not is another story. Plus, when you're talking with a kid about a one-timer, often you're only getting concerns that are specific to the one time that the unsolved problem came up. So chronic unsolved problems tend to have chronic concerns associated with them. One-timers tend to have one-time concerns associated with them. And so what I find with one-timers is that – You can do Plan Beyond One timers, but it's a little bit harder to get the concerns of the different parties on the table. And since the concerns are not chronic, it's not completely clear that there's much to be addressed. And there's my answer. Let's turn to one more. We've got just a few minutes left here, and I think we can get this one in. Need help on getting more support from my spouse and my son just brought home weed talked about it and he did not blow up. By the way, the book has really helped in this area not to have blow ups. I just don't know what to do about the weed. Need some help. So there's two things in here. Uh, Getting uh, one's spouse on board with the model and the unsolved problem related to the son bringing weed home. Um, Susie, I'm going to give you the first part of that. Let me take the second part first. Uh, If the son bringing weed home uh, is not meeting an expectation related to whether there will be weed in the home or not, then quite simply you have an unsolved problem that needs to be solved and it will be the exact same three steps of Plan B that help you solve that problem. Um, A kid who's bringing drugs into the home and a kid who's not meeting expectations around that, uh, that's a problem that needs to be solved. And it's not an uncommon one to be solved with plan B. It's no different, believe it or not, even though it seems more severe than difficulty brushing teeth before going to bed at night. Susie, you have some experience on helping spouses get on board. Why don't you take that part of it?
2: All right. Um, In the beginning, my significant other, my husband was, very reluctant to try something new, but but things were going so poorly in our home uh, for our son that um, we had to try something different. Um, I made an appointment with my husband at a quiet time and um, talked to him about. Why we needed to try something different, because it was things were broken at our house, and um what we were doing wasn't working. I found that similar to working with our our child um, that making an appointment and talking about using plan B in a quiet time. Uh, helped tremendously, and uh, he was persuaded to uh, come over to collaborative and proactive solutions, and um, that's what we did.
1: And on that note, Susie, we are going to call it a day. Thanks for all your emails. Tuesday. thanks as always for joining un- under difficult circumstances. We'll do it again Let's next start. week.
0: It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper?